what I can say in surviving and thriving and truly being able to get back up every day and put my feet on the floor and take another step is that I find myself looking for something to be grateful for every day. And sometimes it's only the smallest of things because some days are so hard to get through. But if you live in a state of gratitude, it really does bring perspective back. And it really does what I like to think of as like fill my light, you know, in my soul. Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. Certified divorce coach and credentialed mediator Paulette Rigo invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. This podcast was created and inspired by our courageous journeys, love for connecting with others, and having meaningful conversations that teach, impact, and heal through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette will be joined by some of the most experienced and compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Listen to prepare and thrive through the toughest chapters as we reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly with encouragement, hope, and joy. Leave feeling empowered and prepared to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. Each podcast episode focuses on sharing real conversations from real life situations. Isn't it time you thrived? Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I'm your host, Paulette, and I am thrilled that you have decided to join me on this journey. Today, I am thrilled to introduce Lisa Decker. She's a nationally recognized expert in the financial matters of divorce. Yes, I dared say it, divorce. And she's a CDFA. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's okay. We're all learning. She's a certified divorce financial analyst, and she's an RCS real estate collaborative specialist in divorce. And what makes Lisa, even more intriguing is that she has uh, an amazing business called Divorce Money Matters, and she's the founder of Divorce Town USA. But as you will learn from this interview, she's a lot deeper than that and so smart. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Well, thank you so much, Paulette, for that lovely introduction, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I appreciate it. Well, seeing that most of my guests over the last two years from starting this podcast journey about two years ago are women who are either in that contemplation stage of, is this really happening? Oh, oh my. Um, A little bit of what I, you know, the denial, but it's more of like what I call relationship ambivalence. Like you're in the marriage, but you're not sure you're in the marriage, but it's, it's really overwhelmed. And then you have that middle stage where so many people want to throw in the towel, particularly now with the court system being the way it is, so backed up um, that they really just feel like they have to survive and learn perseverance and patience and persistence to get through it and maintain their dignity. And then on the back end where, phew, I managed to get through it, but what do I do now? Uh, There's so many decisions and opportunities that are there, but that's just the problem. It can be really overwhelming. So because of that, 
you know, it's a wider range of an audience. So let's, let's dig in a little bit of your story. How did you create or why did you create Divorce Money Matters and Divorce Town USA? Okay, I would be happy to share that. And, you know, the journey that you talk about is extremely common, um, even though every person will go through it in a different way. I, I find the same thread. So I want people to know they're not, not alone. And I will tell you that my journey is a little bit different, although divorce is a part of my life as well, because I am a grandchild of divorce. My grandparents divorced at a time when it was very taboo and people didn't talk about it. And because it was such a contentious divorce, it actually fractured my family in such ways that I never knew a great deal of my family until just a few years ago. And so um, how I got into this is that I was working in the financial services arena, helping people with their wealth matters. And I met someone at a training who told me that she was a CDFA. And I said, a what? just as most people say to me. And she explained what she did and what she does and um, how it helps people going through divorce. And I was very intrigued. And so I spoke with her about it. I looked into the certification and I thought, I must do this. I must know more to help clients who are going through this because I thought I knew uh, how to help people with their uh, money matters as they were divorcing. But uh, it wasn't until I took the certification and started working in this arena that I realized I really didn't know the depth of the issues that happen when people are getting divorced and untying their financial knots as well. So um, fast forward now 13 years and um, you know I've been at this for quite some time helping thousands of people through the divorce process. Uh, I started working, mostly doing advocacy work, working for one party only in the traditional litigated model, because that's what I, uh, that's how I came into it. That's what I knew. But along the way, I discovered that there were other ways that people can get divorced that are less acrimonious, more amicable, that can spare them the angst of, you know, tearing their families apart and going through what my family went through. And so I've become a big proponent and an advocate for a more um, amicable approach for um, taking, you know, mediation and, and arbitration and financial neutral work and um, other ways that you can come about the same uh, end result getting divorced, but without uh destroying your family, your finances, and your future. And so um, I also realized along the way as I was figuring out this journey, and, and by the way, I mostly work with couples now, although I do do advocacy work. Most of the people who come to me are couples who want to figure things out and take a um, non-contested um, sort of mediated agreement, uh, you know, a financially uh, neutral work with them doing, helping them to figure out their, their um, division of assets and liabilities and all of the financial ties that they have uh, so that they can just take that to an attorney and have an uncontested divorce and only have to um, have paperwork drawn. So uh, there are different methods as, as I was saying, but along the way, I realized, you know, it's, if we don't do this journey alone, we, you, an attorney cannot serve all our needs. Uh, a financial person cannot serve all our needs. 
um, you really get the best results when you have a team. And um, that's how Divorce Town was born because I realized that, you know, the anchors should be the emotional, the legal, and the financial. But from there, you might need other people, coaches and real estate and mortgage and insurance and, you know, lots of other particular matters that are weaved into our financial lives. And so um, that's how the, the village was born, if you will. And um, it's been a very interesting journey and it's, it's been very rewarding to connect the, the people who uh, serve with those who seek them. Right. Well, for those that may not know, you know, because this is a national audience. In fact, there's um, some audience to, from the UK, Canada, and down in Belize, where I used to live. People that just, you know, keep, and people keep traveling and moving. So, which, you know, it makes the, the audience more expansive than just the US. Um, for those that may not know, what exactly is Divorce Town USA? It is a community website where people can find educational resources as well as professionals who can help them with their various needs. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of um, free uh, articles, videos, um, recordings, um, there's free offerings, uh, and it allows people to also view their professionals uh, view the um, bios and information about the professionals who are part of the community network who who contribute to making it a community and um, bringing bringing together again those who seek with those who serve. Perfect. And when you be, when you um, you know commit to being a CDFA, I'm sure you've seen it all because my own personal experience in my own divorce and working with clients as well is so many um, clients or individuals, whether they're coming into this from a couple's point of view or an individual, they really feel that they're, they're all about getting either, I, I hate the word revenge, but I'm gonna use it. That sense of like, you know, they're divorcing their spouse and they, they have a difficult time seeing that the spouse is separate from the money, the money is separate from the spouse. And some people really become very um, angry and revengeful when it, when it becomes, in fact, I believe that the number one mistake that most people make in divorce is that they trust their spouse to do the right thing. Where, but when in divorce, mo when emotions run high and money is involved, watch out. And I, I, I mean, that's my own personal experience. Um, how do you, you know, start to calm the client down and see those two as two separate entities from the emotional, psychological, mental uh, angst and um, uh, process that we go through with uh, coming to make the decision divorce, but yet there's the, the division of marital assets is division of marital assets and they really are two separate entities, but yet most people see them as one and the same. How do you handle that? What advice do you have? Well, that's a very interesting point. And, you know, money is wrapped up in everything that we do. And especially when we've been married and long-term marriages especially have a lot of assets and potentially a lot of debts, depending on how the marriage has gone. And so money carries an emotional charge, right? And now you add to it the emotional charge of everything going on in the marriage and divorce, and we've got supercharged. So 
I suggest that people start with emotional support. And many of the clients who come to me have been going for um, marriage counseling and have tried to work things out many multiple times, have gone to multiple uh, therapists over the years. And you know they're just at a point where they know it's not working, uh, but yet they don't want to destroy each other and their family in the process. So for the folks who are looking for the type of services that I offer, it's usually not as contentious as those who are going to end up litigating and end up in a courtroom letting a judge decide for them. Sure. Now, having said that, you know, people do come in and they are emotional. And when I explain to them the different options that they have to get divorced and what that looks like, um, the pros and cons of each and, um, you know, explain to them that, you know, you can start, I have a roadmap that I created and um, on one side of town is peaceful place and savings lane. And I explain about mediation and collaboration and cooperative divorce and, you know, what that looks like and what the pros and cons are and, and you know, explain all the ins and outs to them. And then I say, and if that doesn't work for you and you can't find some level of trust um, or civility, here, then you're headed across town to Bigger Bucks Boulevard and duke it out drive. And so, you know, as I explained to clients in Georgia, a typical divorce is about fifteen dollars to $25,000 per spouse. And that's, you know, just your average divorce. Many, many cases go far beyond that. For legal fees I'm talking about now. And then, um, you know, the average I'm told is about 18 months to uh, litigate a divorce. Now, there are many that go far longer. And I know you and I have talked about your experience and, and, and there are cases that can go on for years. So um, if people understand what their, what their choices are and what different paths can take them down, they, they are more empowered from the beginning because for somebody who's never been through a divorce before, many times they have no idea what's ahead of them. And I don't find that if you're engaging uh, with most attorneys, don't explain the entire process, don't explain that a retainer is just that, it's a deposit. And when the retainer is gone, the fees are earned, then you have to refill the till. And they don't know that. I, I, you'd be shocked. Well, probably not you, but many people would be shocked because, you know, I can tell you, I've had so many people call me over the years and say, I, I just went through 10 or 15, $20,000 and we're not even very far into the case. Where will this end? Right. Because they didn't understand that, how this process works. There's also a lot of times that people have uh, come to me after they've already retained and said, you know, I didn't want the divorce to take this track, but the attorney said, let me handle it. And they didn't understand what that meant, that their spouse would be served a discovery request going back 20 years, which set the spouse off because they had agreed that they would do things differently. And mm -hmm one spouse didn't understand that this is the traditional litigated way and the attorney didn't explain and it took on a life of its own. So I think how I handle it is to help people see 
uh, I like to call it a future cast of, you know, if you take this road, this is where you may land. If you take that road, these are the other options and the other road over here can take you on a far different path. Which path do you think is most suitable for you? or which would you like to choose? You know, not always do people come in to see me as a couple first. Many times people come to see me just for an individual consult. And when they learn that they can work things out together as a couple, um, they come back with their spouse and I explain the same things again and they make that decision together. But they have the knowledge up front and they can make empowered choices knowing that this could lie ahead. Because I just think a lot of people get into litigated divorces because they don't know otherwise. Now, having said that, and I'm sure you've seen this as a divorce coach and all the work that you do, um, many times there are spouses that will not um, play right. You know, they're not going to play fair. They're not going to provide documents that are requested. And if that's the case, then you really do have to go the traditional litigated route in many cases in order to get the documents that you need. Not always, but you know, amicable divorce in Georgia here um, has its own uh, way of dealing with some of those matters. But typically most spouses need to be somewhat on board in order to continue to do something amicable. So it's really about educating both spouses because if one hires an attorney who's not of the right mindset, not settlement minded, um, it's gonna be very difficult for the other spouse to, to be able to follow through with that. And that's why I love the Amicable Divorce Network because the, the, all the attorneys and the professionals in the network and in Divorce Town um, are of that settlement mindset. You know, we come at that approach first. Right. Well, I just have, I couldn't agree with you more. And I just had a client here come to my socially distant office <laughs> and she, her first question to me was, where do I start? Mm -hmm. And I went to my whiteboard after I had her drink some water and take a deep breath. And we'd been speaking a little bit about, you know, the, the turmoil and the confusion and some deal breakers and a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot to take into consideration, the thought process and feeling your feelings, deciding what you want, taking responsibility for yourself. And if there are really what I call deal breakers, like abuse and addiction and Absolutely. any type of, those, those are separate, you know, then, then those are extenuating circumstances, which are more common than I would like to admit, but, and then really how to prepare and protect yourself. And that, a lot of that comes into play also with the finances and really gathering your information and honoring your values and um, then really understanding the different ways to work. Uh, so I went over to my whiteboard and I made a little diagram. I should probably take a picture of it because I'm staring at it as you speak and it made me think. I broke it down, do it yourself and what that looks like and who can do that. And then mediation with the two types with more of an amicable route with a mediator with no lawyer present, but a transactional lawyer to write up the agreement. And then an adversarial-ish type of uh, mediation where you have a mediator and two lawyers present to represent each party. And then I went through collaboration, arbitration and litigation. And as she stood there, well sat there and stared at my six foot by four foot whiteboard, she said, I get it. I finally get it. That was the first person that's actually made me a diagram of the different ways to divorce because mm -hmm. and I used you know little a's and b's and arrows and how the you know it's a mess but uh 
It's great. But in the, in the process and, and I could see the light bulb go on because she just didn't know where to start. So who should you, who do you recommend that somebody meets with first when planning to get divorced? Oh, that's a great question. And you know, it really depends on the situation. I mean, if you've got a lot of legal matters going on, maybe there's issues that you need to protect the children um, and you know, start with a divorce attorney, a family law attorney who can give you the ins and outs on, on how to best protect your children and what you need to do in that situation. Um, if you are really just trying to dig down deep into the emotional aspects and you know, having a hard time dealing with things, then a family um, a therapist, a marriage counselor uh, may be best to help you deal with the emotional aspect so that you can have a clear head as much as possible going into the next phase of the divorce. And um, if it's really the finances that are the, the top of mind and we need to get clarity around that and what is this going to look like on the other side and am I going to be okay and how am I going to manage, if that is the top consideration, then starting with a um, divorce financial planner or someone in the divorce financial planning arena, somebody who understands it from, you know, the ins and outs of divorce and finance. That's so critical. I can't tell you because of having been on the other side and really not understanding what I didn't know. Um, so I would say it really depends, you know, what is your top concern? But, um, you know, we, we have the, a, another roadmap. I just love illustrated things. I, I, I you know, like you, I, I'm, one who needs to see something in order for it to click. And, and like you put that together for your client, that's great. I love to illustrate things. So my newest roadmap shows um, Put Kids First Park is in the middle. And then we have um, Financial free, uh, Freeway, if that's your, your um, top concerns, or um, Amicable Divorce, if you wanna start with the legal aspects. And then we have the upside down divorce uh, for putting kids first, uh, because uh, that's a new way of getting divorced where you start with the parenting plan and um, then you come to do the financials and then you do the legals last. And that, that was created by some friends of mine, the, the McConaughey's. And um, so, you know, there's no one right or wrong way. It's really what works best for each family. Mm -hmm. Lisa, I really love that you said that there tends to be this uh, myth that there's a potential, um, I don't know, map, right? Or blueprint, although the name of my book is Better Divorce Blueprint. And, and there is a blueprint. There is a, a logical, practical method in which divorce can be um, handled better just as you described with the visual. And as I was closing my eyes, kind of envisioning what that upside down trying, you know, would look like upside down divorce. Um, so many people just don't know where to start and it's overwhelming. So we get frozen and that's where the um, ambivalence comes in. Uh, the client that just left said, I've been thinking about this for three and a half years. Um, now I found through just a lot of, um, shall we say, asking questions. Uh, one of the first questions I ask potential clients is, how long have you been contemplating this? And the longest has been about 10 years. The shortest 
you always get that person that's like, you know, spontaneous. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. We usually have to a, a little bit to regret that, but the average amount of time is about two years. And that's a very long time to live in a state of confusion and overwhelm. And we don't have to live that way anywhere it, anymore. If I had known that there was more than one person, one professional in the process, uh, I think I would have had a very different outcome. I was under the impression that the only person that I had to confide in or use was an attorney. I didn't know there was another um, option. And I also didn't know that there were different types of attorneys, not that they didn't have different uh, areas or, or focus of practice, but you know, you have to take into consideration their demeanor, their personality, their style of um, communicating. You know, Some are great on the phone, some are horrible. Some answer emails, some never do. Some like to hang out in coffee shops. So this was back in the days when people used to do that. And <laughs> others are, you know, just stoic and you rarely see them. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it's important that you match the client to the right personality, I find too. Just oh, the financial, right? Some people yeah. are very, um, I had a financial planner that used to use all those big fancy words. And I would finally just say, can you just say that again in English? <laughs> yeah, eventually I got it, but... Yeah. Um, you have to find the right professional to, to get you there. Absolutely. And that's critical with anything you're working with, whether it's your, your health or your wealth. So I'd like to say, a, be, a, uh, you know, be a proactive partner, not a participant in your life matters. Um, I also, I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor and I taught a breast cancer program. And I told people the same thing when going to talk to doctors. It's, you know, it's intimidating when you're talking to some professionals, lawyers and doctors, and, and, uh, you know, you know, they are throwing big words and concepts at you and you're, you're putting your faith in people, but you have to understand what's being shared with you. You have to understand what direction they want to send you in and why, and is it in alignment with are and your wishes? Right. And, uh, if not, it's, probably not a good fit. Now that's not to say that some people have unrealistic expectations at times, especially when they are seeking vengeance uh, because they're, they've been wronged and hurt and they just wanna you know, go for the jugular. Um, but it, it helps to have a voice of reason because you know, it's sad, but judges many times have seen misconduct, especially infidelity in many cases, and it doesn't bring about a lot of extra money um, in a lot of cases, in many cases. Uh, there, are some, there are exceptions to every rule, but you know, my experience has been that uh, judges have seen so much of it that it's just become the norm and there's not a lot that's done about that. So you know, that's a hard pill to swallow, but Unfortunately, it is what it is in many cases. Yes, I, I, I have to admit that that is so true when uh, many people are convinced that in, once uh, infidelity is discovered on either side, that there will be some sort of outrage, um, almost like back in the days of the scarlet letter when it was uh, taboo and um, unexpected and um, and the judges are just very stoic about that now, you know, like, it becomes okay, so common. 
And, uh, you know, what no fault state means it's a no fault state. And it isn't always, and there's many different kinds of infidelity. You know, they're just, in my opinion, flirting and, and texting and, 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 and really having that emotional connection with someone can really be the demise of a marriage more so than the sexual one. If you're really the very first person that you want to share good news or bad news with isn't your spouse, uh, it, that all of a sudden that, that even balance or camaraderie, companionship and connection in your marriage starts to break down on both ends. So a lot of secrecy and financial secrecy will, will absolutely start to crumble the trust level of, of marriages. Oh, yes. And you mentioned financial infidelity. Now, that's a different case because in, if you can prove uh, through experts, whether it be forensic accountants or someone else, um, that your spouse has been spending money without your approval and your knowledge on, um, you know, a, a, a paramour or, um, you know, on uh, gambling or on risky investments and things that you, you just you know, did not advocate for, did, were not even aware of, uh, many times uh, there can be some financial, um, I don't want to call it a reward, but uh, balancing of things to, to get you back uh, some of that money, if it's possible, if, if there is enough in the marital pot to be able to do that. So, you know, in, in some cases, the wrongs can be made right. Uh, but it, it costs a lot of money to go that route. And um, it's got to be the risk and the rewards and the benefits have to be weighed out so that you don't spend more than what you can get back. And, you know, th these can be hard pills to swallow if a spouse has run up a lot of debt without your knowledge and suddenly you find yourself, you know, facing bankruptcy because your spouse was out shopping all the time and you you just didn't know. I mean, th these kinds of things definitely can take down a marriage, but can they be righted? It just depends on the individual situation. And is that also true for the legal or sort of the financial ramifications of the opposite end of the financial spectrum? So instead of somebody with excessive gambling or shopping or purchasing, what about someone that is but you know, opening businesses or investing or, you know, um, making money behind someone's back and not sharing it. Is that also true? I would say yes, because if they're doing it during the marriage, it's a marital asset. And so the, the spouse who is not the business owner is entitled to a piece of that. Uh, but again, you have to know about these things. Um, so you've got, you have to engage people who can help you find these assets. Uh, sometimes private investigators are brought in, uh, definitely forensic accountants, uh, tax returns yield lots of information and so do uh, bank applications for loans because when someone's trying to get a loan, they're you know, fluffing their feathers to say, look at how much I own. Um, and so you know, they may not declare that in other places, but they may inflate on bank applications. So you know, we, there are lots of professionals who get into that realm to look at those kinds of things when you have situations such as that. And then there's other techniques that spouses can use trying to deflate the value of the business by taking on loans that they don't really need or um, um, you know, buying a lot of expenses 
expensive uh, things that they don't need for the business. Uh, um, there are a lot of ways that people do try to manipulate the numbers. And so if you've got a situation like that, you definitely want to have uh, you know, professionals who can dig into those matters for you. Um, yeah, and, and having that forensic accountant or a private investigator or even a business evaluator yes. uh, in your, your um, we used to use the word Rolodex back in the day, but um, <laughs> what's, the new, what's the new trendy under 50 word for your address book, your contacts, contacts. your, your yeah. sphere of influencers? I don't know. I just made that up, but uh, you know. <laughs> We have to coin a new term. It's incredibly true. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit because I thought it was fascinating how you just touched over, just glanced over the fact that you were a true survivor, what I like to call our survivor um, of breast cancer twice, 22 years apart, and most recently last year. So what has that been like for you? And you don't have to get into, you know, details with it, but um, that, that is really an incredibly um, meaningful topic that, that you have been able to, um, that's a long time to be able to persevere through that. And um, you've also had the loss of a husband. And so, you know, loss is loss. Some people say it's financial, it's a job, it's um, divorce, it's death or all of the above and also going through that. What are your, what are your little gems or, you know, little hidden tidbits that you, what have you taken from the experience of having breast cancer twice? I think any challenge in life in the last seven years here have been extremely challenging um, because of not only having breast cancer again the second time, but also, as you mentioned, the loss of my husband. I also have been nursing a mother, my mother who lives with me uh, through her second bout of breast cancer. And this time it was a triple cancer diagnosis. I've lost a son-in-law, a sister last year. Um, I had a daughter fall off a mountain and um, nearly die uh, in a rock climbing fall. And a lot of other things that have come to be in the last few years. And what I can say in surviving and thriving and truly uh, being able to get back up every day and put my feet on the floor and take another step is that I find myself looking for something to be grateful for every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's only the smallest of things because some days are so hard to get through. But if you live in a state of gratitude, um, it really does bring perspective back. And it really does what I like to, think of is like fill my my light you know and my soul um because there's so much that's going on in the world right now i mean having cancer in the year of covid uh was was even beyond challenging and um i uh because of my first cancer procedure i could not have the normal types of reconstruction that that are generally offered i had to spend the three months with cancer in me fighting my insurance company to allow me to go out of state to a specialized facility in another state so there were many challenges but I, among all of the, the tears and the frustration and the pain, I continue to find something to be grateful for and something to try and smile or laugh about every day because it does fill your body with endorphins, you know, when you can find something to laugh about. So um, 
I also believe that helping someone else, mm-hmm. you know, when you can reach out and touch someone, that human connection, and it's so hard right now, right? We can't actually touch people, but we can touch them emotionally. We can touch each other on a soul level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know so much about that. Paulette, well, you know, I'm grateful that I have connected with you because you're such a, a powerhouse with that. Um, just knowing that you've helped someone else to get through their day, another day that they weren't sure they would make it, it's empowering and it's joyful to me. That mm-hmm. is probably what brings me the greatest joy. My first time around, I taught a breast cancer program, that a program that I designed, developed, implemented, and taught to more than 20,000 people. And I found every, every time I went into a classroom to teach this program or a church or a community center or college, wherever I was, I left feeling joyful. Like I was so touched by all those that came there to hear this information. And I knew that I was passing on things that could help others to potentially help save their lives. And to me, that's a great gift, finding the gift within. Well, thank you for sharing that heartfelt story. And I'm sure many people out there listening can identify with so many aspects of your story. 20 years ago, I was in a career that felt empty and was no longer uh, identifying with and felt that it was a dead end. And it started to really eat at me. And I found I needed some healing. I didn't know what that meant, Lisa, but I knew that there was a part of me that felt empty, uh, drained, and probably 15 other words that can fit into that category. And it really left me feeling very confused. And I was lucky enough to stumble upon um, a few healers and a few yoga gurus, teachers, practitioners um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, which propelled me to really uh, craft a personal practice and dig deeply and became a ERYT pun. E-R-Y-T 500. I don't know why they made that so hard to say, but an experienced registered yoga teacher with a minimum of 500 hours of training. Mm. I think I have more than 2000 now, but they, once you have 500, they're like, whatever. Um, and over 10,000 hours of teaching. So, um, wow. but I, I did a lot. I've done in, you know, IFT and Reiki and not Thai body work. I'm a birth doula, macrobiotic cook, and I've studied so much, but I, I've recently learned that you are a healer and you have become an integrative energetic medicine practitioner. So how did you stumble upon your journey into healing others, not just yourself? I'm fascinated. Well, I'm fascinated by your story. That's quite a a litany of um, uh, many talents there. Wow. Um, I want to learn more about all of that. That's that's incredible, Paulette. For me, um, I started feeling energy in my hands when I was in my 20s. And um, I wasn't quite sure what that was or what it was about, but I um, also started experiencing a lot of intuitive things, getting auditory messages, um, um, clairaudient, clairsentient, um, you know, very strong in a lot of the clairs and realized that there's something deeper here than just being a human. <laughs> and that, you know, we are, we are a soul with having this human experience, as it said. 
and started on that journey many, many, many years ago. And uh, when um, my husband died and I started to finally come out of the darkness and back into the light of life again, I remember standing in my room and saying, okay, God, now what? And I heard, go to White Winds. And this is a, um, an institute that I have a lot of friends that have gone to. I've heard about it for years. I always wanted to do it, but there was never enough time or energy or whatever the case may be. And I took that as the signal that the time was right. So I started that course of study two years ago. And um, it's just been an incredible journey that opened up so much to me. And I'm now able to, you know, take the energy in my hands and direct it in ways that can help heal others. And actually, I want to clarify that that can help others to heal themselves, because we really all have that ability within ourselves. Sometimes we just don't know how to connect to that. So uh, as integrative energetic medicine healers, we help people to heal their own bodies by opening up their energy channels and um, clearing some of the stagnant energy, the traumatic um uh, energy that they may have st uh, stuck from scar from having surgeries and things like that, and I experienced it for myself as we, you know, practiced on each other. And an interesting thing happened when COVID happened. Uh, like everyone else, you know, we had to go virtual, and we were the first class that ever had to do this. And though we were learning about remote healing, uh, we were doing it from one room to another with each other. You know, seeing what we could affect, what effect we could have on each other's energy fields and and pain levels and things like that from one room to the other. Well, now we had to do it from you know, some of us are even in different states, right? So we were able to see that it's all energy and it, we don't have to be in the same space and place in order to help heal others and help others to heal themselves. And at first I thought that was the craziest thing when Maureen Spencer, my first, uh, hello Maureen, my first uh, guru in the um, realm of energy world, her, um, her original business was called Finding Inner Peace. And when I read that, I thought, wait, Finding Inner Peace. Phew, not only do I need that, I don't even know what it feels like, but I want it. It was, you know, more valuable to me than, um, yeah, anything. It just, the idea of having inner peace, I know what outer peace looked like, but inner peace to me felt foreign. And that really, sparked uh, so much in me to be a constant learner. I never do anything half-assed as my mother used to say, uh, when I do it, I do it right or do it deep or do it well, or I don't do it well and learn a lot from my mistakes and then help others so they don't make the same ones. So it, it's very true, but I, I'm honored for you to share your story because I was a bit of a skeptic until I myself was propelled into that world to find my own healing. Um, uh, I have not had family history of cancer. Um, most everybody in my family drops dead from heart attacks or other, other things. But, uh, you know, as I laugh about it, I, I mean, you, as you said, you've got to find a, a little bit of humor in it, but um, all the Irish Catholic diseases, strokes, heart attacks, high blood pressure, 
those are the things that were more prevalent in my family. But I also felt that anxiety and depression and mood swings and mood orders and more uh, hidden emotional type of things that were not allowed to be talked about were um, more things that in my family that I just felt like, ooh, like what is all this heaviness, all this sadness and how do I release it? And it was very uh, helpful to learn that um, there are so many other methodologies and modalities out there for anybody struggling through sadness, anxiety. Um, I mentioned them in my book um, and the, the work that I'm doing now because, you know, a lot of divorce is, hey, how long have you been married? How many, what are your assets? What are your liabilities? How many children do you have, et cetera, et cetera. But when it really comes down to it, there is a bond that is an energetic bond there. And our health and well-being is a result of having a lightness and a connectivity or a disconnect. And I think that also creates a lot of uh, disease or dis-ease in the body. And I, through the work that I learned originally with Maureen and so many others, have been blessed to have been able to get a glimpse into that world. So I'm, I'm glad that we also have that similarity. It's so, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely fascinating. And I have found um, that, you know, my work is, is tending to lean me towards and, I, and I'm gravitating slowly but surely to working more with people who are grieving and have been through traumatic events in their life. Um, there's some new certifications that I'm going to be taking down the road and I've got a book in the works. Um, ironically, I was writing uh, Shattering the Legacy of Trauma when my husband had a heart attack behind the wheel driving us home and um, I nearly lost my life in that accident, uh, well, near accident, near head-on collision. Um, as I had to take control of a wheel of a car that I could not um, drive. So um, trauma is a theme that runs through my life. And I have learned a lot about the epigenetics of that and the themes that run through our lives. And, you know, you talk about that with the Irish Catholics and, you know, many cultures have had this and, and we continue to have some of this run through us for those of us who have had, you know, some of these more traumatic uh, type events in our lives and we don't even realize it. And, and I, I have come to see the patterns now and working on shifting and changing that to help heal uh, that for my grandchildren going forward. So um, it's interesting that we are in this place and time that we can talk about this freely because even a couple of years ago, I would not have been on the air here talking about this. I'm supposed to be, you know, this numbers woman. Um, but, you know, I tell people, I, I'm not just your number cruncher. I'm, you know, I'm going to hold your hand through this process. And I, I do coach people a lot on dealing with the aspects of all of it, all the way around. Like you said, it's not just the financials or the legal matters. You're a whole human being uh, and your soul, and we want to help people heal on all levels. Oh, well, this has been a fun, deep conversation that I'm honored to have you on. And anyone out there listening, Lisa has two free offerings. One is a a free divorce financial fitness kit that is available on divorcemoneymatters.com. 
And she also has a free Divorce Town Roadmap and Navigation Guide, which she kind of mentioned and walked you through visually. Now you can actually see it in its pretty colors on Divorce Town USA, like the capital USA.com. So for those of you that are really just looking for a little bit more insight, information, and some tools, please go to her two websites, divorcemoneymatters.com and divorcetownusa.com. They are amazing resources, not only to find professionals like myself, but also um, just like you, she said, little videos and blog posts and resources and insight. Uh, I know one of the first things we all do when we're confused to sit down at our computer and start Googling things and researching. So the more resources you have, the more tools you have, and the more people in your Rolodex, the smarter you are. So thank you, Lisa. I'm so honored to have you here. Nothing but blessings, healing, gratitude, and blessings to all of you. And keep thriving in the chaos because I think 2021 uh, isn't going to be quite exactly as calm as we'd hoped, but I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know about you, Lisa. Absolutely. We will keep it going. Thanks again. Thank uh, you. And again, everybody, keep thriving. Thanks for tuning in and make sure if you want to talk to us or ask us questions, you can always email us at thrivinginchaospodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.